0: I want to invite you to go ahead and grab your copy of God's Word this morning and join me once again in the book of Acts. We are going to jump into Acts chapter 11 verse 1 through 18 today and we're going to continue on in our series called Church on the Move. The message is entitled, Cheering for the Same Team. Now, I've told you before that I played college baseball, and one of the things that our coach would do is anything that was positive that happened with the team, we were all supposed to cheer for, but anything that was negative, like if a player got in trouble for class or something like that, that affected every single one of us. And here's the reason that I hated that. We had a bunch of knuckleheads that liked to get in trouble in their off time. And so they would do something dumb and it would get back to the coach and we'd get a phone call the night about 10 o'clock and the coach would say, I'll see you in the morning at 6 a.m. in the gym. And what that meant was we were going to be punished for those knuckleheads who did something dumb. But his comment to us all the time was, you have to recognize that we are all on the same team. So what happens for one of us happens for all of us. Now, I didn't like it at the time, but, you know, that was a great lesson for me to learn in that season of my life. And it reminds me, as we're going to see in the text this morning, that for us as believers, for us as the church, local here at North River, but global as we think about the global church, we are all on the same team. We are seeking to accomplish the same mission, and that is to make Jesus Christ known so that people will come to faith and trust in him. So what we're going to see this morning in Acts chapter 11 is a situation play out on the back end of the Gentiles coming to faith in Jesus Christ for the very first time. We saw that last week at the end of Acts chapter 10. So I want to read for us Acts chapter 11, verse 1 through 18, and then we'll dive back in together And look at what the text has to say. This is what Luke writes beginning in Acts chapter 11, verse 1. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order... I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey, and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, "'What God has made clean, do not call common.' This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house.' And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as He gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And when they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes, that we would be able to see. That you would open our ears that we would be able to hear and that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit we ask all of this in jesus name and everyone said amen as we dive into acts chapter 11 i want to give you this main idea that's going to frame our time together this morning We should celebrate God's work in the world regardless of whether or not we reap the immediate benefits. So we should celebrate God's work in the world regardless of whether or not we ourselves reap the immediate benefits. Now that's going to make more sense as we walk through the text, but I want you to notice there's three... Transitions that happen in the text. We're going to see the first one in verses 1 through 3, and that is the direct confrontation. We're going to see a confrontation between a group of believers in Jerusalem and Peter as he comes back on the scene, having led these Gentiles to faith in Jesus Christ. So notice, beginning in verse 1, the apostles, the brothers who were throughout Judea, heard, word had gotten back, that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So these Jewish believers who had trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior, they were located in the capital city of Jerusalem. Peter has been sharing the gospel outside of this main area. He was in Joppa. And we find out that word had traveled back that now the Gentiles had believed in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Now, you would think that would be an amazing thing, but it's not in these Jewish believers' minds. In fact, they are going to confront Peter. They're going to criticize Peter. Notice what they say. Peter went up to Jerusalem. The circumcision party, that is the group of Jewish believers who were still very much tied into following the law of God. Now, I want you to notice that as we talk about that, it's not that the law of God was unimportant, and it's not for us that the law of God is unimportant. But if you remember, Jesus said during his ministry, he came to fulfill the law. So our salvation is not based on our ability to keep the law of God. In fact, we know that there's no way possible for us to keep the law of God perfectly. That's why we need Jesus altogether. So Jesus is able on our behalf to keep the law of God perfectly. And that's why he is our savior, the great substitute for us, the one who laid his life down for us. However, in the early church, they were still battling with some of the tie to the Old Testament and thinking that maybe they needed to continue to fulfill the law for God's approval. And that's what's going on here. So this circumcision party is in that Camp and they criticize Peter. Here's what they say You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. So that's the accusation that they love. That's the confrontation that they are ready to have. That's the criticism that they are bringing to Peter. Isn't it fascinating that they're not enthralled by the fact that Gentiles came to faith in Jesus Christ. They say to Peter, how could you go and sit down with these uncircumcised men and eat with them? How could you not take seriously the law of God, not take seriously what God had prescribed in the Old Testament and actually interact with these Gentiles. In fact, for the Jews, they didn't think that the Gentiles were worthy of even sitting at the same table as them. You know, it's disappointing because when you look at God's plan and God's purposes all the way back from Genesis all the way to where we find ourselves in Acts chapter 11, what you see is that God does choose the Jewish people as his chosen people to carry the message of the gospel, to carry a relationship and a covenant relationship with him. But if you notice at every turn, God says that his plan of choosing the Jewish people is that they would be a blessing to the nations around them, the Gentile nations. But For many of them, they got a little bit puffed up. They thought they were the big deal. They were what was important, that God favored them above everybody else and no one else could measure up to that. And so those lingering effects are continuing on even into the early church here as we see this confrontation happen in the first part of Acts chapter 11. Now, I want you to notice the word that's used to describe what they did. The Bible says that they criticized Peter. They had a critical spirit as they confronted Peter about this issue, about the fact that he must no longer have regard for the law, that he must no longer care about God's law and the fact that they should separate themselves as Jewish believers from the Gentiles who were unclean, who were not up to their standards. They were critical of the actions that Peter had taken. But this direct confrontation is followed by a vibrant clarification. So what Peter is going to do is clarify exactly what happens. And it reads almost word for word with the exact story that plays out in Acts chapter 10. So in verses four through verse 17, Peter's going to clarify. Peter is going to tell the story of exactly what happened. He's going to let them in and pull the curtain back and say, here's what I was doing and here's what God was doing and here's ultimately what happened through what God did in the Gentiles' lives. And so he unpacks for them this vision that he saw, the sheet coming down, the animals that were there. He is unpacking for them what God said to him that he is no longer able to call something dirty or unclean that God calls clean, specifically pointing to the Gentiles. No longer were they unclean, but they, by faith in Jesus Christ, could be made clean again, just like these Jewish believers. And so Peter vibrantly clarifies what's going on. And what you see in his description, I think, is just a level of excitement. There's a buzz to what Peter is describing here. I can hear it. I can see it. I can envision it as the criticizers come at him and say, I can't believe you did this. He says, Oh, wait, 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 wait. Let me tell you how awesome God is. Let me tell you what God did. Let me tell you how he showed up in an incredible, amazing, unprecedented way in the lives of the Gentiles. And that's exactly what. Peter does in verses four through verse 17. And he closes out at the end there of verse 17. And he makes this statement, who was I that I could stand in God's way? So he says, listen, guys, you want to bring criticism to me. You want to hold up and say that these people are unclean, but God's doing something that shatters our paradigm. We talked about that a little bit last week. And Peter says, How can I stand in God's way as God is at work? And that's what Peter says to them. I want you to notice their response. We go from that direct confrontation in verses 1 through 3 to the vibrant clarification by Peter in 4 through 17. But I want you to notice the joyous celebration that happens in verse 18. I want you to look at what they say. When they heard these things when they heard Peter's vibrant clarification, his excitement about what God had done in the lives of the Gentiles, that they, just like these Jewish believers, had heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they had responded by faith, and God stamped his seal of approval by giving the Holy Spirit to dwell within them, that at that, when they heard all that God had done, This is their response. They, one, fell silent. You know, I think that's an amazing thing because when we see God work in incredible and amazing ways, oftentimes that's exactly what happens. We fall silent. So they fell silent. The criticism turned to silence. And secondly, they glorified God. And this is what they said then to the Gentiles also. God has granted repentance that leads to life. This group who had a very small picture of what God could do, this group who thought that the Gentiles were beneath them and not worthy to have received the gospel, when Peter shares with them what God has done, that the fact that the Gentiles had come to faith in Jesus Christ, instead of continuing to argue or instead of continuing to criticize, they fall silent and they glorify the Lord because of what he had done. You see, they begin this passage in, Acts chapter 11, ready to string Peter up, ready to criticize him and to say that what has just happened is not authentic and not real and should have never taken place. And yet at the end here in verse 18, what they realize is that God is at work. God is up to something big. God is expanding his kingdom as more people are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, they glorify the Lord because of those new believers who are now not beneath them but who are part of God's family with them fellow brothers and sisters in Christ so as we see in the text this morning that's exactly what should happen for us that as they were encountering something that kind of blew their minds instead of coming at it with a critical spirit, they finally ended up where they should have started, and that is celebrating what God had done. So as we spend time over the next few moments together worshiping, I want you to reflect on the text with me. I want you to think about the amazing work that God did in the lives of these Gentile believers, bringing them to faith in Christ, and then the amazing work that God did in these Jewish believers to open their eyes to the reality that God was at work in ways that they have never been able to imagine. Let's worship together, and then we'll gather back and think about some application from this text. So as we gather back around Acts chapter 11, verse 1 through 18, as we reflect on this main idea that we should celebrate God's work in the world regardless of whether or not we reap the immediate benefits of his work. I want you to reflect on a couple of questions, to just think personally, how does this text apply to my life individually? I'm struck initially by these Jewish believers, the circumcision party that's described here in the first few verses, and and I wonder if you would consider yourself a critical person. Now, that may be a little bit personal, and you may think, gosh, you didn't have to really start there, did you? And yet, that's how the text starts. It starts with believers. They are believers. They've trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior, but they don't quite get the full picture of what God is doing. And as a result of that, they are critical. They have a critical spirit. In fact, for them, you could kind of sum it up this way. Judgment first, no grace coming. And yet the truth for us is that grace should be our first response as we think through a situation. Not judgment, not being discouraging towards someone, but looking at the situation and seeking first to respond with grace. And that's not what they do here. In fact, they come to Peter and they are incredibly critical. They criticize him, the text says. They accuse him of certain things, of not taking the law of God very seriously, of not recognizing that what he had done was actually wrong. And so that's who they are. And I wonder for us at times, is that us? Could we find ourselves in that position? Could we find ourselves as believers who've been transformed by the grace of God still with a critical spirit, still being judgmental more than we are exercising grace, still seeking to want other people to understand us, but not really worried about trying to understand them? You know, I think about this group of believers here, and there's a lot of similarities between them and the legalist or Pharisees that Jesus encounters. And Jesus says, listen, you portray as if you've got everything figured out, as if you are clean on the outside, but I know your heart, and I know what's going on in your heart is dirty and nasty and dead. He calls them whitewashed tombs, where it's clean on the outside, but it's death on the inside. And you know, believers, sometimes for us, that's exactly how we are when we are critical. Instead of responding in grace, instead of responding and seeking to understand someone, instead of just being understood or trying to make our point, instead of that, we're just critical. We're critical with our kids, we're critical with our spouse, we're critical with our friends, we're critical about church, we're critical about all kinds of things. And the reality is when we are critical, the issue nine times out of 10 is not with the other person or that situation. Nine times out of 10, the issue is in our heart. For these believers, the issue was in their heart. They had a critical spirit, and it was a problem. In fact, I think about it like this. They had kind of boxed God in and thought this is the way God should operate, similar to what Peter did in last week's text. And yet, God is at work in an incredible way, and they're so hard-hearted, and there's so much pride for them as a nation, as Jewish believers, that they think no one else could rise up to their standard. And they are critical about the situation. And I wonder for you, would you describe yourself as a critical person? And if so, would you dig down deep inside and ask the question, why? Why as a believer, why after experiencing God's grace, why after being transformed, why is that not seeping down and transforming my heart, to draw me out of being a critical person. You see, there's plenty of critical people in the world, but for us as believers, why would we be the critical people? Why would we not be, as we talked about several weeks ago, like the encourager Barnabas? Why would we not respond in that way? And yet I think it's good for us to see and to encounter believers responding like this, to recognize that maybe it's a window into our own souls at times. Maybe we need to pause in this moment and ask forgiveness for the critical nature that we have. Maybe we've been criticizing our family members or our kids. Maybe the Lord needs to do a work in us to bring that out of us, to root that out of our hearts. And so that's one of the things that I want you to just think about as we look at the text and seek to apply and ask those questions Of yourself, but here's another one. Are you quick to vibrantly share what God has done? I love the fact that that's what Peter does, that Peter being criticized, Peter being lodged accusations against him, responds vibrantly about what God has done. Now, I don't know if you've ever been criticized before. I've been criticized before. And I want you to know that typically when I am criticized, my first response is to seek to make the other person realize you're wrong and you're an idiot. I don't know if that's you. That's me. But here's the thing that Peter does. Peter doesn't even allow this really to affect him. Peter simply shares what God has done. Peter simply says, guys, I got to tell you the story. You need to hear what God has done. You need to hear what I saw. You need to hear what I experienced. You need to hear that God's grace has been extended to the Gentiles. You need to hear that the Holy Spirit has come to indwell them just like he came to indwell us on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. You need to know what God has done. I'm convinced today this world needs to hear what God has done. And who better to share what he's done than Christians who have experienced what he's done in their own lives? And so I want to just ask you that question. Are you quick to vibrantly share what God has done? Or are you quick to criticize? Are you quick to share with others what God has done in your life? Or do you kind of shy away from that? You think about this season in which we find ourselves in, there's a lot of criticizing that's going on. There's a lot of issues that are going on. There's a lot of negativity that is being experienced right now. But for us as believers, God has called us to vibrantly share what he has done and is doing during this season. And I believe what he's going to do in the future. So church, I wanna encourage you, Take this opportunity to share vibrantly what God has done, to share what God has done in your own lives. I've heard reports from a number of you of the exciting things that you've seen God do in your own family. Many of you have shared with me or through Facebook or social media and some platform that there are moments that you've experienced with your kids that outside of this situation you would have never experienced before. But you've been able to press pause and to invest in your kids' lives in this way. Many of you have experienced God's hand of blessing, of being able to see and experience His provision during this season. And I want to encourage you, joyously declare what God has done. Joyously celebrate what God has done. Let everyone know what He is doing and has done in your life. Let's fill social media feeds not with criticism, not with issues, not with problems. Let's fill it with what God has done and what God is going to do and what God desires to do in other people's lives. I don't know if you've noticed this as we've walked through the book of Acts, but that's how the church grew. Simply proclaiming and celebrating and being joyful about God's work in the world. That is what a church on the move looks like. It is believers who have been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ being excited about God's work in their lives and God's work in the world around them. And so I'm convinced this is a great time for us as there is so much negativity and issues and problems out there to celebrate what God has done. So I want to challenge you. Issue this challenge to take an opportunity this week, whether in a conversation or whether social media posts or whatever platform you want to use and just share one thing. It doesn't have to be big. It can be a small thing, but share one thing that God has done in your life during this season and celebrate that and be joyful about that. Be vibrant about what he's doing. Not only this, here's another question. Are you willing to celebrate what God is doing even if you're not the one who gets the results or the benefit? You know, this is something for me as a pastor that I've often thought about. What if God shows up in an amazing, incredible way in the life of our community, but it doesn't happen at North River Church? What if it happens at another church? Michael, are you going to be satisfied? Are you going to be content with God blessing another church? Or are you going to sit back, fold your arms, and be upset that it didn't happen at North River? Here's the thing. If we are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ faithfully, if we are pointing people to Jesus, we as believers, we as churches are all on the same team. And we can celebrate what God is doing, even if it's not happening at North River. Now, we've got a ton to celebrate at North River about what God is doing. But I want you to expand that vision and recognize that God's plan and God's purposes far exceed just what He's doing and will do at North River Church. It extends to other faithful, gospel proclaiming churches in our community and churches around the world. Listen to this it expands to your coworker who you look at and you think, I would rather be blessed than them be blessed. And instead of celebrating what God has done in their lives, maybe a promotion or maybe a raise, you think, "Mm, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to celebrate that because you are primarily focused on yourself. You think, well, I'm better than them. I should get that instead of them. And it's interesting. Isn't that exactly what happened at the first part of Acts chapter 11? Those believers who had Jewish ancestry thought they were better than the Gentiles. They thought God should bless them and not anyone else. And yet, by the end, they realized really quickly that God's work is much bigger than them individually or their nation collectively. That God's work expands beyond just them, but it encompasses the world. And so for us as believers, may God challenge us to celebrate what he's doing, not only here, but outside of North River Church, outside of our lives as individuals and as believers, outside of our families. I want you and I want me to be someone who is willing to celebrate God's work wherever it happens. And I'm convinced God is at work And we simply need to open our eyes and see that happening. And if we will celebrate that, if we will rejoice in that, if we will take heart and be encouraged that our God is at work, it will encourage us and challenge us to continue to fulfill the mission that he has called us to fulfill. And so for us, as we look at the text, I want to remind us that We are on the same team as believers. That God's not called us to be critical, but that God has called us to joyously celebrate what he's doing, to vibrantly share in this community, in our circles of influence, what he's doing and how he is at work both in our lives and around the world. And so I want to encourage you, don't be the believers that we see in the first part of Acts chapter 11 ones who are criticizing, ones who are critical. Let's find ourselves in verse 18 of Acts chapter 11, ones who are silent and glorifying the Lord because of what he is doing. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for our time. We thank you for your word. And Father, I ask that you would use the believers at North River Church not to be criticizers, not to be critical people in this world, but that you would use us to joyously celebrate what you're doing, to vibrantly proclaim how you are at work, both in our lives and around the world. God, may we celebrate as you work, not just in our lives, but in other people's lives. May we celebrate not just when you work in our church, but in other faithful gospel proclaiming churches in this community and around the world. May we take heart as we look at Acts chapter 11 and find ourselves, not in the first part, but God, find ourselves in verse 18, where we are silent before you as you work, where we are in awe of your majesty and your plan unfolding, and we are celebrating and proclaiming how great our God is and how he is deserving of worship. We ask that all in Jesus' name, amen. I want you to continue to worship with us as you reflect on this application from Acts chapter 11.